This is the Mathematics Education Podcast from MathEdPodcast.com. Welcome to the Math Ed Podcast. My name is Sam Otten from the University of Missouri, and my guest is Dr. Anita Wager, uh, who's an assistant professor in the Department of Curriculum and Instruction at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. Anita, thanks for being here. Thank you for asking. We're going to be talking about Anita's uh, current article in the Journal for Research in Mathematics Education, Volume 45. The article is entitled, Noticing Children's Participation, Insights into Teacher Positionality Toward Equitable Mathematics Pedagogy. But before we get to the article, I always like to start um, by backing up just a bit to graduate school. So, Anita, could you just let us know about your graduate school experience and maybe um, tell us a little bit about your dissertation? Sure. Um, My graduate school experience is a little complicated or a little different. I actually went to business school first, uh, Columbia, and worked on Wall Street for a few years, and then started teaching in elementary school. In order to do that, I went to Johns Hopkins to get a Master of Arts in Teaching, and then started doctoral studies there. But because I ended up being really interested in work in equity, and then came across the University of Wisconsin's Diversity in Math Education, the DIME CLT. I mm-hmm. transferred, although I guess you don't really transfer in graduate school. I kind of restarted and came to do my doctoral studies here at the University of Wisconsin. I was fortunate enough to be Tom Carpenter's student. In fact, I was his last student. And oh, wow. For my dissertation, I did a study of professional development on equity in mathematics that was called Developing Equitable Mathematics Pedagogy. Okay, so um, can you tell us a little bit about what you mean by equitable mathematics pedagogy? Because that comes into play in the current article as well. Sure. I think that my view of this continues to evolve. And when I wrote about it for my dissertation, I was really thinking about it in three ways and really drawing on Ladson Billings' work in culturally relevant pedagogy and thinking about academic achievement, in this case, mathematics academic achievement, connecting to children's cultural and community resources and developing cultural competence, and then also exploring issues of social justice. So now I think about equitable mathematics pedagogy as practices that consider children's multiple mathematical resources and provide equitable opportunities to learn. And when I talk about multiple mathematical resources, I mean children's mathematical understanding their community and home practices and experiences. And then for my recent work, which is more recent than the the study we're talking about today, my work in early childhood, also the mathematics that children engage with and play. Hmm. I'm just, I'm curious about your interest in equity, especially given your quite unique background getting to this place in mathematics education. Yeah, I think that many people find it somewhat ironic that I started my career on Wall Street and uh, yet I study equity, a very different kind of equity. I have always been very committed to social justice and equity, and it's something I would really attribute to and thank my mother for. She was Mm. always involved in in what I would call local community and personal activism, and she just instilled very early on in my life a deep sense for justice and for uh, representing those who might not always be able to represent themselves and for advocating for others. 
and I, I didn't really connect this idea to schooling until I started teaching. Um, and after I worked on Wall Street for several years, I got my degree and was a fifth grade teacher in an ethnically and linguistically and economically diverse school. And in that school, because of district mandates, we started tracking our students for mathematics in the second grade. And the way that ended up playing out was those children that were put in, quote-unquote, the low track in second grade, who were, for the most part, African-American boys, ended up staying in that low track. And basically, every year, second grade, third grade, fourth grade, they just got the same math, and it was taught in the same way, and they never really had the opportunity to learn very much. It just made me crazy. Um, That's ultimately what led me to grad school first at John Hopkins and then ultimately to University of Wisconsin-Madison. So you you had an interest in social justice and awareness of social justice issues, but that wasn't why you got into teaching. You actually got into teaching for other reasons and then noticed, oh, wow, there's a lot of social justice issues at play in schools or in teaching. Yeah, I think I didn't really think about it. Like, that wasn't specifically why I went into teaching. I just wanted mm-hmm. to teach. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and had always had in the back of my mind that that was something I was going to do at some point. And thankfully, I found the right time. And so then after you found yourself going to graduate school and really pursuing further studies of this, uh, has that changed your perspective on equity? Or or how do you approach equity now, would you say? I think it's just, well, I believe it's something that continuously evolves and Mm -hmm. um, has really deepened the way I think about it. From as a teacher... In my mind, the way I described it was about tracking, and it actually aligns perfectly with the idea of opportunities to learn, because when you're put in a particular track, you are given particular opportunities to learn. So as Mm -hmm. I think about opportunities to learn, providing access to math content and practices that enable children to exhibit competency... That's exactly what tracking doesn't do. So Hmm. maybe I came full circle a little bit. I just didn't have the words for it when I was teaching. Right. So in the article from Jeremy, um, volume 45, and I think it's still the current issue of that journal, um, you tackle some research questions about the relationship between elementary math teachers noticing of children's participation and the teachers' equity perspectives or the way that they kind of position themselves or position other teachers with respect to equity. Do I have that kind of right in terms of the goal or the target of the article? Yes, you do. So uh, could you tell us about the setting or the data that you collected uh, in this study? This was a study of professional development that I facilitated. I call it a hybrid PD in the article because it differed from typical PD in that it was a semester-long and all of the participants received three graduate credits for taking the course. Thus, mm-hmm. it was sort of a hybrid between a graduate class and professional development. The goals of the PD were really twofold. It was interesting the way this whole study came about. The district in which this takes place had been working on a pedagogical framework and a series of teacher resources to support what they called balanced math. And this was a framework that encouraged teachers to engage students with problem solving, a la CGI, or cognitively guided instruction, number work, inspecting equations, which is early algebra, and then also fluency. And there were a couple schools that I was working with that wanted to have some more PD around this framework, but I was really interested in bringing in explicit discussions of equity 
and ways the framework could support equitable math pedagogy. So we kind of had this negotiation about what the PD would be like in order to meet both the school's goals and mine, and then, of course, the teacher's goals. <laughs> and mm -hmm. it ended up working out really well, and the PD ended up being about both, enacting the framework, and for me, examining who and how children had access to opportunities to learn by having the teachers reflect on the students' participation. Yeah, and that's interesting, too, because it gives an opportunity to reflect on the students' opportunities to engage in both sides of the balance. Like, are they getting the problem-solving and that kind of conceptual understanding? Are they also getting opportunities for the fluency or the more, quote-unquote, basics? Exactly. And I, you know, as with many of these sort of longer professional development, which is what I tend to do, I could be looking at this data in a lot of different ways and look at a lot of different things. Mm -hmm. For this study, what did you end up analyzing? Um, I know you have, uh, it involves no the teachers noticing student participation. It also involves the teachers' positional identities. Right. So in order to get data to address both of those, I looked at basically all the assignments that the teachers did for the professional development. And they wrote an autobiography. They wrote reflections on videos. They wrote reflections on readings. And they wrote a course summary. I think the reflections on the videos are sort of an interesting thing that I had them work on in the PD because they videotaped their classrooms three different times over the course of the semester, and then they wrote a reflection on what they noticed about participation in the videotape, and then they shared their videotape with a classmate, and, and the two of them analyzed it together to talk about the participation. So they had all of these different opportunities to really reflect on what they saw as students participating. Mm -hmm. And then how did you make sense of the data in terms of uh, coding for or analyzing that teacher noticing? So for the teacher noticing, I developed and coded all of the video reflections, really using the noticing framework that Jacobs, Lamb, Phillip, and Chappelle use. So mm -hmm. they talk about attending, interpreting, and responding. Their work is different than some of the other work in noticing because they add the responding aspect to it. So it's not just what you see and how you think about what you see, but what you're going to do next. And I thought that was really important for looking at how my teachers were going to deal with participation. If they didn't have a plan for addressing it, I felt like they weren't going far enough. Hmm. And then you you look at their noticing in relation to the teacher's own positional identities with respect to the equitable math pedagogy. So how did you sort of wrap your head around the teacher's positional identities? As is often the case when we write articles, it looks like we've got everything all planned out ahead, which doesn't necessarily always happen that way. And in this particular case, I had analyzed the data for noticing. I assumed that that was what I was going to be writing about, and the only thing or main thing I'd be writing about and it mm -hmm. wasn't until after that data was analyzed that I realized I needed to go back and understand the teacher positionality. And mm. for that, I developed these initial narratives of teachers' equity experience based on their autobiographies. So I read their autobiographies and identified different ways in which they had been exposed to or experienced or pursued equity experiences, and then wrote these brief narratives. And then I coded all of the reflections that they had written on the readings from the course to identify comments with regard to equity. 
and then I added those to part of the narrative. So I like more fully developed the teacher's narratives. And then I looked across all the narratives of the teachers and developed storylines that weren't specific to an individual, but a storyline about how one might be positioned relative to equitable math pedagogy. And then I positioned the teachers that way. And in doing this, I really realized that I was making these assignments about who these teachers were based on what they wrote, and these, but these were not necessarily what the teachers would say about themselves. I was, and and that was that was really difficult for me. Like how, how was it fair for me to represent people that way when these were my ideas and not necessarily theirs? Hmm. Wow. My guest is Anita Wager from the University of Wisconsin Madison, and we're discussing her article from JRME. Um, entitled Noticing Children's Participation, Insights into Teacher Positionality Toward Equitable Mathematics Pedagogy. So now I'm just curious, um, you said that the analysis started by coding what the teachers noticed about their students' participation. So I'll just start there in terms of your findings. Um, What did the teachers notice or attend to with respect to the student participation? I found it interesting that most of the teachers talked about participation from the perspective of how they structured the class or what they did to support participation rather than from the student's perspective. Mm -hmm. And I mean, maybe that isn't so interesting since the PD, you know, this was a study about a PD and they were taking professional development and they were expected to reflect on their practice. I guess I was just hoping I might see more discussion about which students were not participating and why teachers thought those students weren't and how practices would need to change to address that. I mean, don't mm-hmm. get me wrong, there were plenty of times that happened, it just wasn't the norm. It was much mm-hmm. more about, this is what I did and this is how they participated. Mm-hmm. You know, in kind of going back to the to the noticing framework, there were certainly more teachers who attended rather than interpreting or responding. It sort of gradually increased as they, there were um, teachers who attended a lot, fewer interpreted and even fewer responded, but there were definitely instances where there were teachers who were really thinking about their practice and what they would do to make sure that all students got to participate. Mm -hmm. And so, From the article, there's this result that comes forth from the data about the teachers sort of naturally breaking apart into two different groups, or you identify them into two different groups in terms of what they were noticing and attending. So I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about about those groupings that kind of revealed themselves from the data. Sure. um, The two groups, and again, this really emerged from the data. I wasn't looking for something like this, but after I analyzed all the data For noticing, I noticed that there seemed to be two groups that fell out, those that reflected on participation a lot and those who didn't. And that's really what led me to explore their positionality because I wanted to know, was there something about the teachers themselves that led to more or less noticing? And what I found was that there was. Um, Again, this might not be super surprising, But those teachers who I positioned as making explicit equity connections were those who were more likely to participate or to notice participation. They were also more likely to respond, like to come up with ideas for responding to what they noticed than those who didn't, who weren't as connected to equity. Mm -hmm. What was your sense in terms of... uh 
the chronology of these things? Like, were they maybe noticing and reflecting more, and so you positioned them in that way, and then that led them to notice and position more? Or do you feel like you might have positioned them based on some assumptions, and then that might have led to them? Or, you know, I know in, in the article you don't, you can't take a definitive stance on this, um, but I'm just curious about your sense of that. You know, was it a cycle that kind of fed itself, or was one, did one happen before the other? That's a great question, and I, and I don't really address it in the article. I, when I think about how I positioned them, I feel like that happened after the fact rather than during the professional development itself. Mm-hmm. However, I do think that they positioned each other, uh, they positioned themselves, and they positioned each other in particular ways during the PD. Now, of course, I probably did that too. I mean, that's impossible that I didn't <laughs> in some ways. You know, Mm -hmm. some of the things I said or looks that I made or gestures or something that would confirm to someone that what they're saying is what I was looking for, right? We probably all do that in our classrooms all the time. But it wasn't, I didn't try to be explicit about it. I tried, in fact, to be neutral with regard to that sort of thing. And, And I tried to keep the conversation accessible to those that that I knew weren't as comfortable. I could tell, you know, just as I read their reflections through the course of the PD, as I was facilitating the PD and not thinking about the study, that there were some who were not very comfortable talking about equity and some who were very comfortable. And Mm -hmm. so I tried to open the door, but I don't think I did a great job. Mm -hmm. So you talked about Uh, opening the door and trying to encourage more people to reflect on these equity issues that are so important. And in the article, you talk about the emergent noticers who kind of maybe did walk through that door. So could you tell us a little bit about those uh, participants? Sure. The way I ended up defining the two groups were the frequent noticers and the emergent noticers, more for just lack of a better term for that. But within Mm -hmm. the emergent noticer group, I felt like there were sort of two categories because two of the teachers focused all their discussion on the mathematics, but also raised concerns about equity and really how they could access the conversations. And while they didn't always write something in their reflections, in the final course summary at the very end of the class, I had them write just their experiences in the course. One of the teachers talked about that she understood it's really important to talk about race, but it was also really hard to talk about, and she didn't know how to enter that conversation. And these schools that I w- was working with did talk about race a lot in sort of this their school-wide professional development, and I knew from experience in attending a lot of those that there were definitely teachers that didn't feel they had a place to, to take that conversation up. Mm-hmm. It's just a challenge in society, but also a challenge, you know, very much for teachers and educators working in this arena where it's important issues, but they're also very sensitive and very challenging. And in some ways, this professional development, because it had this dual focus, it gave teachers who didn't want to, or maybe didn't want to isn't the right word, but teachers who weren't comfortable or didn't know how to access that conversation, it gave them something else to talk about because they could completely talk about the mathematics and not Mm -hmm. attend to some of the other issues. Because the PD was about that as well. Yeah, wow. A lot of really challenging but important issues that you've tackled here. I wonder if you could help us just boil down the article a little bit. 
Um, is there a, a key takeaway idea that you would want to leave with the listener um, that make sure that they, that kind of sticks with them from this article? And I'm also curious if you yourself have some takeaway ideas that you're still mulling over personally. Sure. I think there are really two key takeaways that I think are really important here. The first is that using a lens of participation is a way to support teachers to examine their teaching for equity. And I think that's something we can do in professional development. It's also something we can do in our work with pre-service teachers in math methods courses. And the idea that we can use the noticing framework to explore issues of equity. Um, In particular, in this case, we're talking about participation and how students engage in different parts of the math classroom. But I think that it's a really important concept, the idea that the noticing framework can be used for both mathematics understanding and equity. And the second takeaway, which is probably a bigger one for me, is that if our goal is to provide support for more equitable mathematics teaching, then we need to have teachers learn how or start to or help them position themselves as equitable mathematics teachers. It goes for pre-service teachers as well. It's hard for teachers to see the equity in their practice if they don't think of themselves as equitable practitioners. So as mathematics educators and mathematics teacher educators, we need to think about how we support teachers to do that. Mm -hmm. I think about, you know, one of the goals for teachers is for them to help develop uh, a powerful identity in their students as mathematical thinkers and doers. But if we are teacher educators, we're working with teachers, we need to help the teachers develop a powerful identity as equitable practitioners so that they can then take that and help their students to identify themselves as mathematical thinkers and legitimate mathematical participants. That's exactly right. That's a perfect analogy of how we want to do that. My guest is Anita Wager from the University of Wisconsin-Madison. And uh, Anita, you are a SIG RME Early Career Award winner. Um, So congratulations on that, um, by the way. But now I'm actually going to ask you to imagine if you weren't an early career award winner and you weren't even in the career of mathematics education. So you you had, you know, kind of your business history. So there might be something here to connect to. Uh, This makes this question a little bit more uh, intriguing. If you weren't in mathematics education, what do you think you'd be doing with your life? I definitely would not be going back to Wall Street. Um, okay. <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's probably, um, there's, there's two ways to answer this, right? There's the sort of beauty pageant answer, which is the, you know, save the world, continue my work with young children and develop their mathematical understanding and play, or mm-hmm. the answer of, yeah, I'm going to just chuck all of this and... I'm going to be a dog walker. (laughs) Do you have, uh, I'm imagining you're a dog owner then. Is that true? I I am a dog owner and I, um, and I just love dogs, all of them. Oh, wow. Someone Um, suggested I could combine those two and have a, a doggy daycare that is linked with a child daycare. So it's a little combo. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah, and then you could slip some mathematics into the daycare and have some nice activities through children's play that they could be learning some concepts. Exactly. Wow. Are you a city dog walker, or do you like to take them out to dog parks, or do you like, you know, out in the country, or uh, or is it just anything with the dogs and the interaction is, is good for you? Well, I prefer taking them out in the country or dog parks, but my dog is so old at this point that he can barely make it around the block, so we just stay <laughs> close to home right now. Out to the curb and back. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) 
Well, uh, Anita, thanks so much for taking the time to be here and, and speaking about your work on equitable mathematics pedagogy. Thank you, Sam, for having me. This has been really fun. Thank you for listening to this episode of the MathEd Podcast. If you'd like to support the podcast financially, please use the PayPal donation button at mathedpodcast.com.